0: So I was thinking about meditation as being a way of creating calm and openness so that more constructive conversation can
1: happen. Hello and welcome to the Art Guide Australia podcast with Tiani Mikas. This episode is the second in a series on art, creating and care, linking with the poignant exhibition, Notions of Care. The show features five artists and groups to consider care in art making through materials, how we relate to one another, and as an approach to the world. And one of the artists that I'm talking with is Katie West. Katie is a Yinjibandi Western Australian artist based in Noongar Baladong country in Western Australia. She exhibits these incredibly moving installations, which often feature dyed textiles and native plants, which are sewn and woven. In 2016, as part of Next Wave Festival, she exhibited the work Decolonist, which looks at how meditation can be a way to decolonise the self. And she later extended on this for a stunning installation at Tarawara Museum of Art, giving audiences the space to meditate and contemplate. Now, her work in Notions of Care could be described as a tea installation, and she talks through this work and how it came about. We also talk about what the concept of care means to her, how she came to meditating and bringing this into the gallery space, and the process of walking, gathering, and dyeing the materials for her textiles. Katie also talks about the experiences of racism she has faced, and her words of encouragement to other people who have had similar experiences. And before we get started, a kind thank you to our sponsor for this series, The show Notions of Care is a bus projects exhibition touring with NETS Victoria, which is supported by Catherine Genevieve Honey and Nina Mulhall. This project is supported by the Victorian Government through Creative Victoria and received assistance from NETS Victoria's Exhibition Development Fund 2020, supported by the Victorian Government through Creative Victoria. So I wanted to start these conversations by asking everyone the same question, which is, what does care mean to you?
0: As an artist, I, I think of care as considering the audience experience in my work. Uh, for instance, with uh, the tea work, I'm really interested in making a space where people feel welcome in the invitation to have some tea and also to kind of take up space in that invitation as well. I feel like, well, I suppose with care, I'm also very interested in what it means to practice custodianship uh, from my own displaced sort of position and also in the kind of world we live in with climate change going on. And so I think of it in this very... Uh, big picture way, but also in these uh, smaller interactions with others.
1: Yeah, that's really nice. At like a more, I guess, art industry level, I mean, you've probably experienced in your own way that it can be unstable and it can be stressful, whether that's financially or emotionally. Where do you see the role of care at like a bigger art institutional level?
0: I think a lot of the um, sort of, I don't know, just the things that are a little bit annoying about around administration, a lot of that can be excused if um, you have a real connection with um, curators and people working at the institution and you can sense their excitement around the work. That's kind of the most important thing to me. I think, well, I mean, as I've started to be paid for my work, I do feel like I'm being cared for in those transactions. I think, uh, uh, and especially um, being in Melbourne for a time and uh, the Aries, they're being so conscientious about paying people well with little resources. I was so impressed by that and I feel like that's just really important. It not acknowledges that we all have our general lives to deal with and roofs to keep over our heads and stuff. So I think there's a, there's a care in that.
1: Yeah, totally. Just acknowledging that artists are also people as much as artists. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about your upbringing in Borloo, Perth? Was art something that you always gravitated towards? Uh,
0: yes, actually, and I have... This is funny. This has popped up a couple of times in interviews. Never think about otherwise. But um, at primary school, we had a... We created a time capsule. I can't remember how old I was, but probably like nine or something. And um, I put in there that I would be an artist, um, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of... um, To kind of be spot on and is kind of funny, I think, because I thought about being a lot of other things as well. But I suppose I've always yeah, been drawn to doing creative things and um, and making things and getting really involved in a making process. So like um, starting a project in the morning and seeing it through to the evening sort of thing and not having many breaks and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Did your family make art in any way? My nan was well she didn't make
0: art so much but I think she was really creative in what she did um, and would really research how to go about things so she was an excellent gardener. She also kind of led a little sort of theatre group in the town I grew up in so I saw I spent a lot of time (laughs) time at community theatre rehearsals um, and sort of seeing all of the problem solving that goes on with that kind of project and my granddad was is still a farmer and um, both of them together they're just uh, really ingenious in how they reused materials for different jobs around the farm so I grew up watching that I really feel like that's a big part of how I go about things in my
1: art practice. Yeah the way that I first came to know your work was through you know these incredibly beautiful pieces of naturally dyed fabric which you'd installed alongside some native plants and every time I've seen your work since thereafter, it's just it's just amazing. And I know from reading about your work that there's a really poignant and beautiful process behind that dyeing. Was, was that something that you did when you were younger or is that a process that you came to when you were older?
0: Well, I was first introduced to natural dyeing through my nan because she bought me a book by India Flint when I was a teenager. So that book was around the place. And then in 2015, 2016, as I was doing making the work for Next Wave Festival, I was thinking about all sorts of things actually, kind of too many things for the one work. (laughs) But um, I really wanted the fabric to be infused with Uh, the place where the work was going to be shown. So that's how natural dyeing came into it, uh, kind of entered the sort of professional uh, artwork, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk through that process of gathering, bundling and then boiling with water and all the materials together? So
0: I like to collect um, plant material that has already fallen to the ground, or uh, if I find, see a plant where, you know, it just needs a prune, or it's in a spot where someone else is probably going to prune it at some point, then I'll I'll take some. But generally, I just collect from the ground, so bark and blossoms and leaves. And then I'll do a bundle dye technique, which is um, definitely from India Flint's influence. So that you're sort of laying out the fabric, uh, laying out the plants on top of the fabric and then bundling it up from there. I remember doing the process with um, with someone and she she felt like that we were wrapping up a mummy. <laughs> it's a bit, <laughs> like, <laughs> a bit like that. So you're wrapping up really, really tightly and then you put it in a pot of boiling water and let it go. Sometimes I'll forget about it um, for a while, so just leave the pot in the backyard and that's quite good because... Um, it really does get to brew away like that.
1: Yeah. When you've talked about it in the past, you've also sometimes talked about the embodiment and the duration of walking the land and collecting the materials and making the works. And I wondered what that actually feels like when you're doing it.
0: I suppose, uh, really, I think my favourite thing in the world is to go on walks. So I, I just... Really enjoy that process. Like I, I love just sort of walking the same sort of circuit wherever I live and noticing different things. Yeah, I, I'll go for a walk to collect materials, but then I do a lot of walking when I don't have that aim as well. So there's kind of a blurring. Like there's an intention to the walking when I'm dying, but it's also laid over with just just being and existing. Actually, when, when I was making the work for Next Wave, uh, it was a really... A kind of stressful time in my life for all sorts of different reasons, um, but a big one was moving across the country um, and sort of being out of out of my comfort zone and I was so um, thankful to have uh, this job I had to do to make the work that absolutely required very little from me rather than walking and observing it's been really valuable for having those quiet moments.
1: Do you see yourself, because you sort of said in, you know, even in your very first answer about care, that you are thinking about the viewer a lot. Do you think you're trying to carry that sense of embodiment into the gallery space so a viewer can feel that too?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that that is important to me, being able to carry that across. And I think that just comes down to wanting to... I I just think that's an important part of art making to kind of embed those things that are difficult to articulate with words
1: and it is about feeling Just before when you mentioned moving to Melbourne and, you know, that being, I mean, it is quite a big move. (laughs) That was, I think, around 2014, 2015? Uh, Beginning of 2016. So you moved to Melbourne in the beginning of 2016. What was it like just entering the art world here? How did it feel?
0: Well, I had done a few trips through the whole Kickstart program thing that Next Wave runs. It was really like my world just opened up because in Perth I really uh, hadn't found other artists thinking about the issues I was and suddenly through Next Wave and just meeting a few people in Melbourne, I was like, oh, there's, <laughs> there's a whole lot of um, people who are thinking about the same issues. Yeah, it was, an, it was a relief just to
1: find that. I think there was one point I was seeing your work so much around Melbourne and regional Victoria that I actually just thought that maybe you were a Victorian artist for a while. Um, And I think the last time I saw your work was at Bus Projects and that was for Notions of Care. And I was wondering if you could talk through to listeners what you're exhibiting for Notions of Care.
0: So the work is probably best described as a tea installation. Oh, and there's a couple of large cushions as well. So there's a few pieces of fabric and uh, some of them can be used as um, tablecloths. So depending on what table can be sourced at whatever gallery, these tablecloths should fit. They're kind of a standard trestle table size. So there's a, a few of them so they can be laid out in different ways. And then there's some um, smaller pieces that can be used as like tea towels and then there's also a hot plate with a teapot and a few cups and then tea. Oh, also with the um, large naturally dyed pieces, they can be hung in the space so they're kind of marking the tea space within the gallery and then two quite large cushions that are filled with partially with um, fabric and then uh partially with plant matter. So when you sit on them they have a really um really nice smell to them. Yeah, so that's kind of the setup.
1: What was behind the the decision to bring, I guess, a gathering around tea into the gallery space?
0: The idea really came from the natural dyeing process. So I was thinking about being infused with place. And yeah, there was a point where there there was a real shift. So I was thinking about it, I suppose, because I was working with fabric, I first wanted the fabric to be infused with place and then I was really thinking about human beings being part of the places where we live and kind of wanting to question how separate we can imagine ourselves as being from from the col- the ecologies we live within, so the tea I think is a way to think about our connection to water because if you think about water catchments i i mean we we have we just have water that comes out the tap for us, but that water is it is something that kind of compared to the array of food we eat perhaps that's from can be from all sorts of places in the world. the water we drink is absolutely from the places we live, um, from the catchments and from the rivers, from the rain or um, the groundwater. So it just seemed like a good way to think about our connections to our places and country in that way. Um, and you also have an infusion sort of happening with the plant material as well. Whatever tea I can manage to get a hold on. <laughs>
1: You have a just you saying that reminds me of this interview that you did with curator Melissa Keys, And there was one moment where you said, I'm now giving more attention again to how life flows. I feel that I have perhaps gone from thinking about how to infuse material with place to feeling that the materials I use are always grounded in place. And I thought that was such a poignant observation to have. What do you think prompted that shift?
0: I have a feeling when I did that interview, it might have been around the time I was doing a residency up at Cossack, which is in the Pilbara, close to the town where um, my mum's mum, my nana, sort of lived a lot of her life. And Cossack's a really interesting place. It's the first European settlement in the Pilbara region. And it's at the mouth of the Harding River, so this river mouth that meets the ocean and there's, um, so you can really watch the extreme tide sort of happening each day. I think at that time I was sort of really kind of grappling with my sense of disconnection from my ancestry, Uh, but there was a point in being there where I felt like that was kind of dissipating, and it kind of came through thinking about material and kind of just being in place. Uh, I think I was just confronted with the absurdity of thinking that I was totally cut off from my family and country. I suppose in, in terms of these bigger simulation policies, there was this narrative that you take the child away and the child no longer has their culture, and that was the, that was the aim and that was kind of the kind of language that they were using. So I kind of grew up with that narrative, so it's been a bit of work to break it down and feel like I'm not separate from things.
1: Do you feel like you're in a place now where you're reconnecting with your culture or, or does it still feel like, you know, there's that, that gap there, I guess?
0: Uh, there's still that gap and I think it's an acceptance like those you know, I know a few people from up there now and that's fine, but it's accepting that um I'm not going to know that original culture to the extent of growing up there. And it's kind of just accepting that and that being <laughs> that being fine, like there's and sort of putting it in perspective and going there's uh so many people in the world who are disconnected from ancestries like that for, from these original ancestries for all sorts of different reasons. It does feel a lot more difficult to take when that was, the cause was deliberate. Yeah, but there's also, yeah, I've just, um, just accepting where we are at and... um yeah, finding other ways to just feel connected and grounded in the life I do have.
1: Is one of those other ways meditation? Because that's something that's really been like a key part of a lot of your art.
0: Um, Yeah, meditation first became interesting to me because there was all this research into um, meditation affecting gene expression and (laughs) things like that. So I don't know, that's all I can say about it. I don't know how to go deeper in it, and I think you know that might have been the extent of that research too that that potential is there so so it, it really presented this idea that um the genes we're born with are not fixed, and um that really gave me hope in terms of thinking about the impacts of transgenerational trauma, so yeah, I think it it there's kind of been a few. Things or um, ways meditation has been helpful in my life. So from handling uh, experiences of of racism, so being able to to just have a, a way to um, calm down after um, those kinds of incidents, but also this bigger sense of having a bit more kind of control about the trauma and predispositions I might have inherited.
1: Mm. Yeah, thank you for talking about that. That's really brave of you. So thank you. No <laughs> there is sort of um, like I guess an extra layer where then you've also brought meditation into the gallery space with previous works like Decolonist and Clearing. And I saw Clearing a few years ago at Tarawara Museum of Art, and it was a, just a completely stunning installation. How did you get the idea to bring meditation into the gallery space?
0: I suppose the same around the same time I was discovering all of those things about meditation, I was also teaching in Indigenous health at a university to first-year health students studying all sorts of different areas of health. So I was meditating before class <laughs> because uh, our subject areas was... Um, in, we were going over history that I felt like people should have already learnt at school and um, kind of going through the social determinants of health and it would press on things that were going on in my own family. I was connecting dots through delivering the material with my own story but also observing in the class some students being uh, super compassionate but also very flustered (laughs) because they didn't want to say anything wrong and cause offence and then um, the students who were outright resistant to... Um, having to do a unit like this as part of their studies. So it really felt like everyone was bringing a lot of emotion into the class. So I was thinking about meditation as being a way of creating calm and openness so that more constructive conversation can happen. Yeah, that that really was um, the main thing. So I think creating a sense of um, a state where people feel like they can be open to others. And I feel like that's helpful in a gallery space also.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of the mindset you want to be in when you're going to go and look at art. Mm-hmm. Something else that really struck me about the works was how I feel like um, like I meditate and I find it very useful but I also feel like there is this other sense in which it's been co-opted by like wellness culture or co-opted by capitalism. Mm -hmm. And I loved that you created a space that felt so genuine. In the back of your mind, were you thinking about the ways in which meditation has been co-opted?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think, yeah, I have wondered about that a bit, but also it's such an old practice too. I feel like that just balances it out for me and I think even though it is sort of part of this big industry now there is a core of it that it just works for people (laughs) I think (laughs) even though it's part of I guess a lot of a lot of silliness I don't know what other word to use but um (laughs) it's still when you do meditate it has this particular effect on your body so that's always going to be there. And I think there's such long histories in Buddhist practice as well that kind of outweighs a lot of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just to change topic a a little bit, but you've talked about how, and this was also in the interview with Melissa Keys, and to quote you that galleries and museums are places that I did not feel welcome in as a young person. What was that early experience like and did it, especially in your younger years, did it made it did it make it feel difficult forging ahead with an art practice?
0: Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, so I suppose going to high school in Perth in particular, and then yeah, continuing to live in Perth after high school, I experienced a lot of racism day to day. Like sometimes it felt fairly, fairly overt, other times it was more microaggressions. But you would have Just um, uh, sometimes it felt like you, you had so many experiences in the one week and it would just like, it really would wear you down. And having those experiences really affects your, well, for me, really affected my ability to just get out there and find opportunities. So even with finding work, like when you're followed around a shop or you're, you're being watched, like you know you're being watched, you don't necessarily go, oh, I might <laughs> apply for a job here or there and stuff. Uh, with things like, so being an undergrad and then other people would go and volunteer at this gallery or this gallery, I never felt like I could do that at at that particular age. So, th- yeah, that's kind of what, what I was pointing to. Yeah, I, I suppose also having the experience of like inviting my brother and his friends to come to an exhibition opening and they've also been like sort of a bit hesitant about coming in. It was like, are we in the right place? Are we allowed to be here? That sort of worry.
1: Would you say it's changed over time?
0: I think it has changed a bit, but I think the thing that has changed more is my vigilance around it. So I've really worked on not... Um, going into a situation and assuming that people are looking at me in a particular way. So it's kind of um, maybe a bit meeting in the middle a little bit. But that's just my particular experience. Like I feel like I can hold myself a lot more in those situations and if I saw something happen um, or in situations since being back in Perth, I've just been able to deal with it without having a full-on adrenaline rush so that's that's a good thing for me I guess I think we're in a really weird situation where so many people are interested in Indigenous cultures and all our stories and experiences but then there's still some really hideous stuff going on so yeah I'm not quite sure where we're at
1: If there are younger artists in particular who are listening and, you know, the experiences of racism that you're talking about really resonate with them, what would you say to these younger artists about, I guess, finding the perseverance to to continue with a career in the arts? I feel like
0: there's so many more ways to find your opening, to to just get in there and be part of it, um, than when I was starting out. I think there's so many Aries and institutions that are have opportunities for indi- young Indigenous artists or just at any age. And yeah, I think I think just try everything. Um don't be a scaredy cat like me <laughs> basically. Um Yeah, just just put yourself out there because there are opportunities like that now and when the invitation is given, people are thinking about how it's put across. Um, They're thinking about who needs to be involved to make that a safe invitation and one that's valuable to the person they're inviting into. I think people are just thinking about that in a really good way.
1: And that was Katie West for this latest podcast episode supported by Nets Victoria. Stay tuned for future episodes in this series coming out in early 2023 and listen back to the first episode with Kate Tucker. You can subscribe to the Art Guide podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and don't forget to rate the show as it helps people find us. Or otherwise, listen at Art Guide Online, where you can also keep up to date with art related features and interviews from across the country.